Hello and welcome to yet another edition of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering, Arena, and nothing else ever. My name is Arjuna, I'm one of your hosts, joined by the legendary, the one and the only, one and best of one, Covert Go Blue. How are you doing today, my friend? After that amazing introduction, I'm just walking a little bit taller, a little bit prouder. Feeling good. Feeling excited to be here on another episode of my favorite, not close, MTG arena-focused podcast, the Arena Craft Podcast. I mean, I feel like we've got to be the best arena-focused podcast out there, right? I don't... I, I can think of a few that threw arena in the title. I can't think of any that actually come out here and go, by the way, we're focused on arena as often as the arena focused arena craft podcast says it. <laughs> you know, when you're the only game in town, you are the best game in town. We don't need to cover that. That also makes us the worst game in town. So we won't go there. But anyway, um, we have some hot, hot topics for you today. If you've been paying any kind of attention to any of the usual news outlets for Magic, you will know that there was a massive organized play announcement that happened this past week. And so we're going to discuss that uh, somewhat today. We're not, like, spoiler alert, we're not going to go super deep on that. So don't worry if that's not a topic that is, like, exciting to you. We're also going to talk about Historic Anthology 5 because we've yep. basically gotten the whole thing revealed now. So that's exciting. New cards. Every new week is new cards. card week. I mean, did, didn't I say last episode, right at the end, like, we'll meet next week to talk about new cards. and We will, and we are. Here they are. So <laughs> so we have that to look forward They're to. They're new, new old cards. New old new cards. New old cards, time. indeed. But first, Covert Go Blue. You, you only get to first things one time, right? Okay. Okay. Yes, that's right. And... We have another first for the Arena Craft podcast today. Mm -hmm. So, yep. Sit down wherever you are, listener. Sit down, brace yourself. This is going to be a big announcement. Stay sitting down if you're doing that already. <laughs> this is sit this down is, more. This is an earthquake. So, people, the people have spoken for over a year now that I've been running this podcast. People have been asking. And we are finally giving the people what they want. We have created an Arena Craft podcast Patreon. Now's your time, crafties. La. I know, right? This is like an La. angel's singing Editing. moment. Editors, do something cool. So I'll say like probably like every week to every other week, I would say since this podcast started to get any kind of momentum, I've had someone either, you know, in my Twitch chat or just in Discord or emailing me saying, how can we support the show? How can we support the show? And I've put this off for a while for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, you know, this is not my first rodeo in the podcasting world. And I learned from my last podcast that you don't really capitalize much on running a Patreon or the time it takes to set it up and maintain it or whatever until you reach a certain point. And so that point has, has been reached. It's not a trivial thing to set one up and it's not a trivial thing if you're actually delivering to your community to like keep one going. So I really appreciate the people who have expressed the interest in contributing over the year slash years. 
and mm-hmm. um, I've, we've not been ignoring you. And it's just that the kind of the um, the time investment versus r- reward is finally to a point where it's going to be really positive in that regard. So. I'm stoked. I'm actually pretty stoked about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can tell. You're like you're you're Steve Jobs launching the iPhone up here. You're you're, you're like uh, you actually love it so much, but you're finding the words to like put it, get into it. But I I, I want to take. Can I grab the mic yeah, for a second? Yeah, d- jump in, man. All right. How so, Arjuna? You started this podcast basically on your own from scratch. You've been you were kind of the one guy podcast for a while. After like three or four months, something like that, you invited me to join the show. And for the last over a year, it's it's been it's definitely been over a year. It's been like a year and like three or four months. We with me taking, I think, one or two breaks, we've been here week in and week out through some pretty interesting times. And we've always called this like a passion project. I know it is for me. I love being on a podcast. I love talking with you. And you, you do so much of the work. You do the editing. You're the one, you are the show behind the show. And you make a really good show. And you took, you put a lot of pride into it, but you didn't, you never made it about the money. And we both talked about it. You know, it's still not just about the money. It's not like we have to do this to, or we're not going to do a podcast. It's the passion that you have for talking about this and making a great show. And people have responded to that. And they've said, we love this. We don't want it to go away. We want more of this. How can we help? And so you put in the work and like you made a really sweet Patreon page. It's live right now. Uh, the Arena Craft podcast on Patreon with some sweet benefits. And I think that you deserve uh, a moment to take a bow because you built this from, from just a thought in your head. And you deserve a ton of credit. So I'm giving you a little round of applause. I'm, I'm proud of you. And people, if you appreciate it like I do, uh, now is the time where you have a place to show it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you saying that. And it does highlight the fact that this is first and foremost something that I look forward to every week, you know? And so I really believe that. And I, I think that you would say this too, that like, in order to have the drive to produce content, you need to be your own biggest fan. And it's it's like, you you know, you need to look at what you make and be like, damn, that's really cool. Oh, yeah. You know, and I can see that in your channel, right? That like you've really, you know, just this kind of years of pride that you've put into this. And it's hard work, but it's also actually liking it, you know, and actually like producing something that you're excited about. So that, you know, and I think it's one of the reasons why I think you and I work well together is that we both share that passion. And, you know, and having said that, you're a successful content creator. You could probably be spending this time making more money if money was your goal. I'm a self-employed person and, you know, I make my money in my career by being a go-getter and, you know, going out and getting clients and stuff like that. And so if I was just all about the money, I'd probably just spend more time doing that. So so it's it's not all about the money for us. But having said that, you reach a point when you're doing something where like if it's not bringing in any money, it's just it starts to be kind of a drag. Mm-hmm. And you start to be thinking like, what else could I be doing with my time? You start to be wondering, and especially if you go through a period where money is tight or, you know, maybe you want to start make a big investment, you want to buy a house or just, I don't know, something, right? Something comes along. You all of a sudden start thinking a little bit more about where you're putting your time. And so 
one of the things that makes Patreons really awesome is that it helps to to not have that be a conversation. It helps that to put like, okay, maybe this isn't like the most profitable thing I'm doing. If it does become that, then that's amazing. Oh yeah. But even if not, it covers the base and it makes it so you don't have to worry about it. Yep. So here's my ask for you crafties. You've been enjoying this show now for up to a year and a handful of months for free. And if you have enjoyed this show so far, we would both greatly appreciate it if you'd swing by our Patreon and sign up. So we've a lot of podcasts do their Patreons on a per episode basis. I decided to set this one up on a monthly basis because like we release a lot of extra content and, you know, sometimes during Mm -hmm. spoiler season, we release like four or five episodes in a week. And I don't want people to worry like, oh, man, you know, that's going to hit my bank account. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> without a without question, I I like the way it's set up. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. So so I just wanted to make it simple. You just go there. You don't have to worry about it. It starts at you know the the Patreon starts at three bucks a month, and for those of you willing to do math, that is less than a dollar an episode. So that's a pretty good deal, right? It's a pretty good deal. Pretty good. And then it goes up from there, and we have some sweet rewards. I'm not gonna like go all into it right now. I'm not gonna like just read down the list because I would love it if you would just go and take a look, you know, just check it out. So spoiler alert, we've set it up with a cat theme. So the first Patreon tier is a cool cat and it goes all the way up to an S tier cat. So just go go check it out. It's a fun time. I think you'll enjoy it. The rewards are sweet. We've made a couple of different Discord roles. We have like a, you know, kind of a basic uh, patron and then we have like an elite patron. Here's another thing that I want to say as well, is that this is just the beginning. Patreons are an evolving art form, as it were, and as more things happen as we grow the show, as more things become available, you know, I'm definitely thinking about adding on stuff to the Patreon, increased rewards. So it's kind of cool because like if you sign up now, not only are you getting whatever benefit you sign up for, but you're also signing up for whatever other stuff we decide to do in the future. So... Think of well, it as welcome to the ground floor. It, that's yep. it, man. Getting in on the ground floor, you know, which is kind of what keeps projects like this going along is cool people being willing to be like, all right, you know, I'm coming in now, going to support this and I'm going to be kind of moving towards what this could be or, you know, what I'd like for this to be. I also any any time I talk about monetary support on my channel, I always throw this in and I think you'll agree if you can't afford to support the channel. I don't want you to feel left out or feel shamed in any way. Listening to or watching the show is supporting the content. Yes. So never never feel like that you're not enough. If you actually listen to or watch the content, you are supporting the content. If you can afford to, if you have a few extra bucks and you're wondering whether or not to upgrade your Netflix to 4K or do something like this, you know, give us give it some thought. Yep. Absolutely. And here's another thing too is that The revenue that we make from this podcast, we've been making a little bit from CGB's YouTube channel and, of course, from the Patreon. And we're basically, like, after expenses, we're splitting that right down the middle. So, you know, don't don't worry about, like, where that money is going. It's going to both of us. Another cool thing is that that money goes towards stuff like paying our editor. Our sweet YouTube editor, who is currently Bottle Brush, has been doing an amazing job been doing cool yep. stuff such as putting those card images on the videos uh bottle brush was actually doing that for free because just being a boss up until recently so so when you contribute to our patreon you get to support cool people like bottle brush 
to do extra cool stuff for us. And it just helps for us to, you know, if we have a cool idea in the future, what if we did this? What if we expanded like that? What if we offered these features, etc., etc. Yep. The Patreon is a place where we go to look like, oh, cool, can we fund that? Do we have something to work with when we want to do that? So there's a lot of, there's just a lot of aspects of running content that require money, basically. And CGB and I have been putting our own cash into it. And so anyway, when, when people chip in, it just gives us a lot more to work with and it's awesome. Yeah, it opens up a lot of options. It does. Basically, this is a moment for us to just be grateful to the community. Thank you so much to all of you for showing up, for listening, for supporting. Occasionally, we have amazing people like Clicks just like roll through my Twitch streams and just make it rain and throw out a bunch of subs. Yep, good guy. Solid human being that Clicks. So for folks like that, this is a great place that you can go give some consistent support. You know, I don't always stream on Twitch. So if you enjoy the the fact that like this podcast keeps going and organized and all that kind of stuff, then this Patreon is a great way to do that. Okay, I think that we've hyped it enough. If you go to patreon.com forward slash, hold on, let me, <laughs> let me make sure I have the right URL here. I'm still getting used to no, this. you got it. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's patreon.com slash arena craft podcast. Arena craft just the podcast. way you'd expect it to be. Yes, just, just exactly what it should be. So just go there. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, CGB will have that in the uh, YouTube description. So yeah, just go show your support. And again, like CGB said, you know, if you can't do that right now, just keep listening, keep being a cool person. We love having you. Moving along here. So we usually do a lightning round question of the week. And this week, I'm rolling it into a topic that we wanted to talk about anyway. Symphonias asks, opinions of Watsi shutting down the MPL? Question mark. Any hopes for what the future of competitive magic will look like? So that this is definitely one of the hot topics in the magic world today. And Covert Go Blue, I want to throw this one over to you. Maybe you can just explain to people a little bit like what the announcement was and just help take us into some of the ramifications of that. Okay. In an announcement on the magic.gg site called Esports Transitions and Getting Back to Gathering, Wizards outlined uh, basically a lot of Things saying that they're excited. It's a lot of words that amounts mostly to we're going to get back to doing paper magic uh, and we're going to do it where and when it's safe, depending on world conditions and a lot of things. And we're not really ready to show you all of the plans of all the whens and wheres of paper magic, but it does involve getting back to local play and local tournaments, regional tournaments, and also some large gathering tournaments that probably won't be ready for a while until the world is ready almost almost as if like this was a lot of words to prep you for some bad news that you might take in a bad way near the end they say that the rivals and mpl are in are not going to have another season after the 21 22 season which is a a huge announcement for a lot of reasons. It's a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. The MPL and Rivals were created uh, as 
part of the Magic Esports push and designed to be the pinnacle of competitive Magic play, the top achievement that you could reach as a Magic the Gathering professional. And it came with a salary as well as invites to all these tournaments and fees just that were paid just for playing in these tournaments. It was, in many ways, the dream, Magic as a career. And they have essentially said that's coming to an end after, I think it will have been three years when they play out the season that we're in, which isn't very long, it's not long. To, to be honest. It's not long. So that is kind of the nuts and bolts of what is happening. And I wanted to talk about it today from the perspective of what this means for Arena, because we're the Arena Craft Podcast. There are wonderful podcasts out there if you want to go deep on this subject, made by people who were really involved in competitive magic and really involved in the MPL. Straight up MPL members have podcasts on this. So you can hear a lot of ins and outs of this there. For the typical player playing on Arena, how to interpret this corporate speak and this decision? Uh, does it mean that like pro magic is going away? In a sense, but I think that there will still be a lot of tournaments, and it sounds very much from this announcement that Wizards plans to focus a lot of attention on paper magic. And I think what that means for Arena is when Arena came out and the MPL came out and the esports push began, this was treated as the future of Magic, that Magic someday will be mostly digital on Arena and played in front of you know millions of people for millions of dollars. Like That is basically what they set us up for with their the world will know advertising and Sir Mix-a-Lot and the Mythic Invitational and the sparklers and the fireworks when people walked out onto the stage and all the things that they did and the, the esports team jackets and the Omen sponsorships and the Alienware, all this stuff. And I think that this announcement is dialing all that way back. And I think that what they're saying is that Magic Arena... They, know, they don't see it anymore as the future of Magic. They see it as another way to play Magic. And that's what I'm getting from this, especially when it comes to competitive play. It sounds to me like they're saying, you know, we, we learned from this experience that that esports thing is hard and we're, the, what we're great at is paper. And we're going We're going to go in on paper. Magic Arena will be there as a thing you can do to qualify for the paper tournaments. There might still be sometimes Magic Arena competitive tournaments. But for the most part, that MPL, fireworks, esports, big money thing, that I don't think they're doing that anymore. I think this is the end, if you want to stamp it, the end of the esports era for Magic Arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. that's what I read in this too. And... Okay, so it's sad for a couple of reasons. On the one hand, they're absolutely right. They are incredibly good at making a paper card game. They might be the best to do it. They might be the best ever to have done it. So polishing your trophies in a sense and just continuing to focus on the thing you do best is yeah, it's a smart thing for a company to do in general. Wizards also does have a history of having subpar digital offerings. So this is also just kind of in line with that as well. You know, it's like, yeah, the digital offerings have never been that great. I think what makes me sad about the whole thing is that Arena could be different. Arena could be the thing that really changes that. And I think one of the reasons people were so thrilled about Arena when it was first released is that it was like, whoa, 
holy heck, this is kind of a Hearthstone-looking platform. This could actually go somewhere. So even though it was scrappy and, you know, had a lot of kinks to be worked out, the bones of it was, like, surprisingly good. And the first draft of it was surprisingly good. And I think that that's what sparked so much of this momentum in the first place. So to think that all of that potential... I mean, okay, so let, let's get real. Like, they're not going to abandon Arena as long as it is a profitable venture for them. And... And it really is. It is. <laughs> it is. Like, it's not... It's, yeah. you know, they could do... They could continue just doing the absolute bare minimum and it would be a totally fine, profitable venture for them, right? And we've seen this, like, with Magic Online, for example. Magic Online, as far as I know, has never been a main driver of revenue for Wizards, and they've kept supporting it. And I think the reason is simple because it just continues to make them money. So it's worth it. But I totally agree. Like it's it's a little bit rough to see what was such an amazing possibility spring up and to see them really putting a lot of effort into it. And then to just see them suddenly like left turn on it mm-hmm. or, or, or basically like do a 180, you know, just flip right around on it yeah. and be like, nah, we're good. So I think that... You know, you and I and probably other people who are thinking about the future of Arena are probably a little bit concerned about this, right? Because we were just hoping to see more money, frankly, put into the client, right? We were hoping to see things like these server issues that just happened on the most recent Arena Open weekend, (laughs) right? (laughs) Which is, Uh... I mean, that's a whole topic that we could go into, which we don't really need to. But suffice it to say, you know, when people are spending their hard-earned money, you know, it costs what? It's like 4,000 gems or something to get in on on the Open, which is like real money. Uh, Yeah. Uh, for to play a real competitive event with a real cash prize. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. You know. So exactly. So not only you know if something goes wrong, not only are you potentially out the money that you put into it, but you're also potentially out the money you could have reasonably expected to make as well. When I read this announcement, it makes me feel like stuff like that is not likely to change anytime soon. Do, do you think that that's a reasonable assessment? A hundred percent. I think that expecting the arena client to be updated to better handle competitive structure isn't realistic when they're cutting off the competitive like the thing that they designed to be kind of the pinnacle of uh competitive play on arena the mpl and the and arena very much came hand in hand and the mpl has done almost all of their events uh aside from i think three paper pro tours in 2019 teen uh on arena it i I feel like the mpl was created to sell arena and much like a lot of things that were there very early on in arena um like they were constantly developing the state of the game articles had were fixing this and they had roadmaps and things like that and slowly those things have all faded away to new cards just get cards on arena that's the job of the development of arena at this point and then even when they break the game when they like violate their rules engines and things like that, and you don't get the hot fix the next day anymore, you get like a month of, hmm. I mean, I hear that you still can't use historic sideboards in like direct challenge tur- for tournaments. You still have to register them as limited decks because of the sideboard bug. Like what? What? And I, and I, when I see an announcement like this, that's what I think. I think that. 
Things like spectator mode are just not going to happen. Things that would polish up the client and make it better for a competitive tournament scene are not going to happen. That this is arena is a product designed to sell cards. It's a pipeline and that the in what they believe in ta- like competitive play to be, they they see it going back to paper. That's my takeaway from most of this. Yep. I agree. And so it has interesting ramifications. So for example, uh, one of the biggest deals with Arena and specifically the Arena competitive scene is that it really opened up competitive magic to the world. Yeah. If you live in North America and you want to play in magic tournaments, there's, you know, there's high profile tournaments that happen all over North America. And so it's not that big of a deal to go to one of them in paper, right? But it's still kind of rough. You've got to buy a plane ticket. You've got to get a hotel room. You know, you got to, all of these other extraneous expenses, food and whatever, and you got to take your entire weekend off to go there. It's still kind of a big deal to participate in one of these tournaments. Now imagine what it's like to live in South America or to live in Africa or to live in, you know, Southeast Asia and to contemplate going to magic tournaments. It's, you know, the plane tickets are two to three times as much. You know, your access to the cards might be more limited. Your magic cards themselves, if you're playing in paper, might cost you twice as much. You don't have access to nearly as many things like a local PTQ, for example. People might have to actually get on a plane just to play in a PTQ, before they can actually qualify for any kind of other event, which they then also have to get on a plane. So I think that people in North America take for granted how accessible magic is. And if you Mm -hmm. live anywhere else in the world, Arena has been a real godsend. For people whose access isn't as ready, Arena has been a great way for them to play competitively and, you know, be in the top 1200 every month and play the MIQs and all this kind of stuff. And granted, it has not been a perfect system ever. It's It's been a very punishing system. There's a lot of things about it that could maybe change to make it even more accessible. But it has been a pipeline, and it's been a pipeline that a lot of international players have been using. But I want to clarify really quick. I don't think all those things that you described are going away. I think that the thing that goes away is at the end of the road, there's the online arena tournament that they get to compete in, whereas now there's going to be travel to somewhere and it's unclear because they didn't announce it. They basically said they don't have the framework figured out. They, they, they have this amazing sentence that says, we've had a lot of time because of COVID to think about this. And then they go on to say, we're not ready to share any of it. <laughs> but, but we haven't spent so, any of that time thinking about what we were going to do. <laughs> so we haven't. So we don't know where that end step is now, but I don't think it will be like strictly over arena. Obviously, it was mostly because of COVID for the last year. But I think that they have no interest in making that the way that the highest level is played is uh, me in America battling someone from South America over MTG Arena with webcams. I think that they're just, they're off that. And there's a weird disconnect in that it's widely talked about that when Hasbro reported their public profits, Wizards and Magic, Magic had their most successful year ever, record profits. Unbelievable, right? And then there's this disconnect where it seems like digital magic from a competitive pro standpoint mostly failed. The 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 viewership for the MPL and the like set championship events on Twitch was very low. The prizes were cut 
at least once uh, by quite a bit. It was restructured again and again. I still don't understand the system for the most part from last year. I can probably, if I try really hard, remember who won which events, but that's like most of what I have from the scene. So there's this weird disconnect where it felt like it was time in 2020 for digital magic to step up and shine. Somehow they didn't, and somehow magic still had record profits. It's hmm. all those secret lairs, man. It's those freaking secret lairs, dude. <laughs> and, and, and that draws you to the conclusion of why are we making an esports push at all, which I think we're seeing the fallout from that. Like, we don't need an esports push. We need a competitive system that lets people ascend the ladder from their local game store to their region, to their country, to some kind of a world gathering championship, which we're not allowed to do right now. And like most people aren't nearly as invested in uh, watching on a high level people getting on their computers and battling each other just it's just not the same way it doesn't it doesn't draw the way that they were hoping uh, and i heard something pretty funny um one thing i talked about with my chat is did the mpl have to go what was it too far gone and i think it was getting to the point where it was kind of embarrassing and I don't think a rebrand could have saved it. I don't think anybody could come in and reignite an excitement around the MPL, no matter what they did. So I think it had to go. And I heard, uh, I think it was on a podcast, actually, and I'm trying to remember which one so I could credit it well, but I'm, oh, it was a YouTube video. I heard that the Mr. Beast promotion probably got more Magic players than the MPL did for their entire three years. Which I, I mean, I wonder if that's true, but it does. I would, I'd love to see it. Yeah. I'd love to see the numbers. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it does, though, highlight the fact that of all the stuff that's been going on with Magic competitive play, I think it was clear to everyone that the MPL was just not it. Yeah. And I think it kind of makes me a little bit sad because it, I don't think that Wizards set out to do this, but it kind of reminds me of like when politicians. Let's say politicians will oppose some popular measure, right? And then the measure will come to the floor and it becomes clear that it's going to pass anyway. So then they'll just kind of gut it, you know, so that when it passes, they're yeah. like, oh, this thing sucks, you know? So see, like when it comes time to, you know, kind of reassess it, they're like, we all know this sucks. Let's take this off the floor. It, this kind of reminds me of that a little bit where it's like, oh, see, you know, we can't do the esports thing. Magic just doesn't work as an esport or whatever. And it's like, no, that's that shouldn't be the conclusion at all. We just the, the system that we we're working with was a poor implementation. Yeah, I, I agree. One thing that I said that I keep thinking about uh, during my Twitch show was I, I felt like the MPL while it was probably conceived and that the team behind it had good intentions from an outsider looking in from somebody who pretty much viewed it as a consumable form of entertainment. It felt hollow and missionless. The mission was to get my money. The mission was strictly about getting more people to buy MTG arena. Um, and it never felt like it was something bigger or more interesting than that. It felt hollow, it, it, it like a, a pure marketing stunt. And I felt bad for the people who were pretty much forced to engage in it. At first, you look at them and you're like, what a life. They get paid to play Magic. That should be sweet, right? But watching them in event after event after event, and I, I mean, part of it's that I'm pretty deep in the scene listening to their podcasts, watching their Twitch streams because they were paid to be Twitch streamers for a while. Like, it just was clear that 
there wasn't that much soul in the idea of the MPL. It's like, well, you're here. We paid you to play Magic. Aren't you happy? <laughs> and yeah. no, humans don't work that way. Humans like to be challenged. Humans like the chase. They like obstacles to overcome. And while Magic and its metas can be difficult, like when you're just invited everything and paid just to be there, it takes the spark out of it. And it felt like there was very little spark both in the players and the vision of the MPL a lot of the time. So this is reminding me of the ESL. Have you, CGB, are you at all familiar with the recent controversy, which is the ESL, the European Super League? No. Okay, so... I, I, what, there's other games I know, in right? the world? I'm confused. <laughs> people, people happen to be invested in other competitive scenes, one of which is, you know, soccer, right? Which is perhaps the most popular sport in the world. Um, but at any rate, so basically... The, the short version of the ESL is that during the pandemic, uh, of course, sports teams all around the world were heavily impacted by the fact that, you know, gathering large groups of people together was a bad idea. And that tends to be what happens when you have big sports is you have large groups of people gathered together, you know, yelling and getting little uh, droplets on each other, which is kind of disturbing to think about. But <laughs> so... The, uh, I think it was 12 or maybe 16 of Europe's largest football clubs got together and they were like, hey man, we're losing a lot of money. We need to come up with something to try to stimulate a little bit, try to generate a little more revenue, get a little more engagement going here. And so they privately developed this thing called the European Super League, which is basically like the MPL version of high-level soccer. Basically, all European leagues are set up in this way where you have like the top league. So like for the English league, it's the Premier League. And then going down from there, you have these other leagues that feed up into it. And so it doesn't take that much to be a team who has a shot at being the top, right? You can be like some small random club in like some, you know, English village and you can be in that competitive system but in order to get to the top, you have to do a lot of winning. And also for people who are in the top in the Premier League, uh, if they have a bad year, they might actually get relegated and get put down into a lower league. So the European Super League was like, nah, nah, nah. We're just going to have these 12 clubs. They form the league. That's the league. And then they just play each other in different configurations. We keep score, but it doesn't really matter because it's only the same closed circuit of people in the league. So it's basically the MPL. Yeah, nobody can battle their way up and into it and challenge. Uh, the, the, the top teams are just going to be there fighting each other and for the foreseeable future. For the foreseeable effort. future, right? Which is, it's not, right. it's, it's not exactly what the MPL was, but the MPL <laughs> gave a, a pretty narrow path, right? It was a pretty narrow path in. I mean, you had to be like actual Chris Kavartek, like superhuman to like grind your way into it. Oh yeah, yeah. So within days of this being unveiled to the public, the, I mean, there were like riots in the streets, you know? The fans of all of these clubs were just like, F that man, people hated it and it crashed and it burned. And I think that yeah. this is just a really good analogy because I think that it's basically the, the uh, you know, the magic community has shown, yeah, these kind of ideas are bad ideas. They don't work. It's exactly like you said, people, it gets carried along because of the dream that anyone could end up there. Yep. The previous season gave you a shot and not, I mean, sorry, not like system, the previous system 
Yes. Not only did it give more of the average pleb a shot of, of making their way into the pro scene, but it also gave you something even if you didn't make it there. So let's say that you, you know, didn't win or didn't top eight like everything that you ever played in ever. You still got points and they still fed into this system. And so at the end of the year, you could say, well, I didn't achieve these highest goals, but I still made silver. I still made gold or whatever. And that still meant something. And it's it sounds like they're not bringing back the point system, but we might have a very similar kind of qualification path to the old one where the accomplishment can be getting to the pro tour yeah it doesn't have to be winning the pro tour you got to the pro tour you got to play against somebody uh, a hall of famer in round three or something like that that's a big deal yeah absolutely so i think neither of us is trashing on paper pro magic because both of us were like avid followers of that scene still a huge fan yeah man i mean i you know honestly if they manage to bring that back in some form i'm gonna be really happy Especially if they mm -hmm. don't cut all the costs and make it suck somehow. I feel like the TLDR of this is that people who play Arena, I think, should be a little bit concerned about the future of the platform. I I've just, I don't know, man. I just want to be able to set my default land art. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I would love for actual quality of life improvements. And we were talking. Uh, before the show, it does sound kind of like they might be headed, and some people get scared by this, on the Magic Online route where they do a refresh like every five years, which Arena isn't quite that old yet, where they, you know, in one fell swoop, hash out some stuff. But pretty much all the updates seem to be about new cards, just pumping in new cards for us to buy, which I am not opposed to. I just don't know why there's a bottleneck somewhere in Arena that says we can't improve the client while we're busy programming new cards. It feels like we should get some freaking lawn chairs and some plywood and make a desk out of it, put a computer on that desk, put some programmer out of college right there and say, yo, make a default land button. And I don't know. I'm probably oversimplifying programming because I don't understand it. But it feels like at some point when you have a cash producing machine like arena just get a few more butts in the seats and get the job done yep get those interns out of death Sea's twitch and working on the freaking ui man and you know Thank what you. else yes. man just buy a couple more servers dude you know i mean it's probably already hosted on aws just freaking call up amazon and just allocate those extra servers it's gonna be okay <sighs> I Yeah, <laughs> let's not do another MTG Arena Open event where the black screen is what everybody remembers. Unbelievable. But we have to, like, I could really go off on this. So why don't we talk about what Arena is really about, which is new cards on the client. Indeed. Uh, good, good save there, CGB. Good save. So, yes, uh, Historic Anthology 5 is this okay is this the full spoil or is it just most of the spoil i it appears to be the full 22 is a lot it's a i lot. feel like there's been 25 before yeah so historic anthology 3 had 27 historic anthology 4 had 25 and we're looking at uh 22 here in historic anthology 5 which i guess they could still reveal one or two more but mm -hmm. this is probably it it's probably there's it. usually two mythics let's see if we have Two mythics we do. Uh, three mythics, three actually. Mythics, yeah. Okay. Four mythics. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Hmm. You're right. So maybe there's another common or something. Wait. Have they given us all of the Praetors? 
No, they haven't given Not us the, a white I don't, Praetor. They, I don't see Norn. I don't see Elish Norn. That would be the big one. Dude, if, if Elish Norn hit, that would be something. That would be a talking point. Yep, yep. So there's a, there's a couple of cycles that they've put in this. The first we just alluded to is the Praetor cycle. These are big legendary Phyrexian heads of the color, right? Heads of the house divided by color. So that's a fun, spicy thing. But the other thing that they've thrown in is these command cycle. And is was this mm-hmm. dragons of Tarkir that they came from? Or was it dragons? Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe it's dragons of Tarkir commands. It might be cons, but I think it's dragons. Okay, yep. And these commands, before we get into the nitty gritty, made a pretty big impact. Several of these are like much hated cards from Magic's history. They've showed up in formats and really shaken things up. So pay attention to these commands. They're no small thing. Also much loved by those who use them to abuse their opponents. Uh, Atarka's command being uh, the first one. You know what? Let's Do you want to go out of order and just do the command cycle? Okay, let's do that. All right. So we're going to start here with Atarka's command, which is uh, a red and a green for an instant. Remember when commands were instants? Oh, baby. The good times. Uh, choose two, and your opponents can't gain life this turn. Atarka's command deals three damage to each opponent. You may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield, and creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and gain reach until end of turn. And Atarka Red was a very serious competitive and a winning Pro Tour deck. I believe it won the championship the first time it was played, the Pro Tour. I can't remember the Pro Tour. I'll assume it was Dragons of Tarkir. Uh, And it was very common to choose the three damage to each opponent and creatures get plus one, plus one. And basically for two mana, if you have three creatures, that's six damage from one spell, which is, that's an impressive burn spell. Dece. Yeah, very dece. Yeah, so this card is just very versatile. It's priced to move. Here's the cool thing about a card like this is that all of the modes need to be relevant in some way. The cool thing about a card like this is that it just has some very, very powerful text on it. For example, being able to put a land card onto the battlefield. If your card is otherwise dead, then having text like that can be incredibly useful, right? Because sometimes you have these commands in your hand and that it's just a literal zero in the matchup. And so I think that a card like this being able to A, kill your opponent, B, win combat, and C, ramp you, that's the kind of versatility that makes a card a real banger, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, it, th- these commands are really good. Antarka's command might be the best one. Uh, I'm curious to see how they'll perform in Historic. Like, is this something Gruul wants to do? This can notably be cast off a Burning Tree Emissary, which is, you know, you're always looking for something to do with that mana. But yeah, I'm curious how this lines up. I mean, so let's think about that, right? Let's say that your turn to play is like Emissary into Emissary into Ataka's Command, deal your opponent three, put another land down, right? And then next mm-hmm. turn, you're already Ember Cleaving. Or questing beasting. Curves like that can just be really strong. I mean, okay, it has to take the spot of something else in the deck, and maybe you can't cough up that space. But um, just even right there, that's like a very reasonable thing to be wanting to do. Yep. Going to be a strong aggro card. Absolutely. Let's talk about Dromoka's Command. Now, if you've ever listened to Allied Strategies, which was a recently retired Magic podcast, 
Jermoka's Command was like one of their most hated cards ever. Yeah. <laughs> they spent like entire podcast episode episodes talking about how messed up this magic card is. That's an interesting preamble because if you read it, I think a lot of people miss like what that might be. So uh, to hit the text on this, it's only a green and a white. So only two mana for an instant. With the choose two again, prevent all damage. Target instant or sorcery would deal this turn. Target player sacrifices an enchantment or put a plus one plus one counter on target creature or target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. And I remember a lot of their hate for this card stemming from the fact that target player sacrifices an enchantment as kind of a freebie mode. Just made enchantments completely, <laughs> just made all enchantments unplayable. And yep. I, I mean, I don't know if that's where we're going to go in historic with introducing Dromoka's Command, but you have to think twice now about just throwing an enchantment in that you expect to sit on the battlefield and do something. A card like Dromoka's Command was not very good against blue-white control, but if they're going to main deck Rest in Peace or Search for Ascanta, now suddenly you just hit those things just because you played Dromoka's Command. On the other hand, if you're against a burn deck, preventing the damage an instant or sorcery would deal is a big deal. On the other hand, if your opponent's deck has creatures of any kind, the rate of a two-mana instant speed plus one plus one counter and fight is really, really good. Like Savage Stomp is a sorcery, and it had to be like pretty hard nerfed to only affect dinos, and it was messed up if you played good dinos. And like it was a sorcery. Like this is a really good fight spell, possibly one of the best ever. And the first thing I think of reading this is feather. Feather. Feather would be oh sick. Oh my god, feather. That would be messed up. Imagine if red-based uh remo- uh rats are being played in the format and just being able to like counter a red wrath with this and get some oh yeah you know and now usually cards like what what's the it's the green instant that gives your creatures indestructible ajani's intervention is that the one heroic intervention heroic intervention yeah so that's a card which some people have been putting into historic decks and honestly i i personally i don't think that card's good enough to sideboard but this is kind of a heroic intervention with without the downside right now this can't prevent like a wrath of god but it's just another it's a it's an example of a card which like if the meta goes a certain way you can totally hose a different card type so like you were saying like this just randomly hosed enchantments if damage based mass removal becomes a thing this could just randomly hose that as well so again it's just a very very versatile card which and and one of the benefits of cards like these is that you can pick up those little extra like oh my gosh my card does that as well so a card that you're like running main deck or running in your sideboard just gets plus 10 bonus points against some random matchup Another one of these commands that has a similar kind of effect of just randomly hosing isn't on the list, but I did see on a site that it is spoiled for this release, so it will be in the anthology. It's just not on the list that you're looking at right now. And that's Colagon's command. And that is one in a black red with an instant status and a choose two once again. And it says, return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Or target player discards a card. Remember, this is an instant. Or it's an instant. Destroy target. It is. Or destroy target artifact. So just any 
artifacts are suddenly way more vulnerable. Or Kolagon's command deals two damage to target creature or player. Uh, I'm getting a lot of Prismari command vibes from the destroy target artifact and two damage to any target. Like, that's something I've gotten used to with Prismari Command, and I very much enjoyed it. The target player discards a card is so awesome in a top deck war because you can use it during their draw step, and they don't get to play it unless it's an instant. Yeah, yeah, it's it's actually, there are game states where you can just lock up a win, you know? Like, if you have your next turn win in hand, imagine a scenario where, you know, you're a control deck, you need to top deck a Wrath, in order to survive, and then your opponent just nabs that wrath right out of your hand. You know what this reminds me of? It's a little bit like when people would, um, they'd Teferi you, and then after your draw step, they'd Mind Erasure you. That was a really nasty combo. Yeah, yeah. So this is kind Very of giving nasty. me those vibes. Yeah. It also adds an angle of hand hate to a card that doesn't, that if hand hate is bad, is not dead, which is one of the problems with discard decks. You just... It, if you're getting beaten down on the battlefield, your discard cards suck. Well, this helps you clear the battlefield and can also make them discard a card. But there's also that raise dead, you know, return target creature from the graveyard to your hand. This is an effect that usually isn't good enough on its own. But when you staple it to a card like this, I'm excited to play this with like Torrential Gear Hulk because you can use the Gear Hulk to bring back and cast the command to get back another Gear Hulk <laughs> or to destroy the opponent's Gear Hulk or. Like, there's a lot you can do here. Um, CGB, did I just hear you talk about playing Grixis during this podcast episode? <laughs> I mean, I was going to splash probably the other colors to keep that from happening, but uh, <laughs> sure, why not? Five-color right. Grixis, let's go. Avowed Grixis mage, covert go blue. Confirmed. All right, well, that, yeah, Colligan's Command sounds gas, and Rakdos is a very, very playable color combination in Historic right now, so interested to see whether that one could show up for sure. Uh, let's hit Ojitai's command here. So this one is uh, on brand for Kovac Go Blue. Two white blue instant choose two. Return Tiger Creature card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Or you gain four life. Or counter target creature spell. Or draw a card. Control Mage, you interested in this? Not really. Yeah. I, I think it's too expensive. It seems a little weak, doesn't I it? Its only real impact was in Con Standard, which was a much slower and more battlefield like reliant standard than than we have now. Mm -hmm. And for historic, it's definitely, in my opinion, too expensive. But uh, the part that I think its best mode is return target creature card with mana value two or less from the graveyard to the battlefield. Do we have good targets for that that we want to be playing anyway? in historic and in standard there was jace vrin's prodigy yeah and yep. that's that's what this card is missing is that blue white kind of control creature to bring back that you want to bring back i don't mm -hmm. think we really have it maybe like i'm trying to think and i'm coming up blank like dreadhorde arcanist comes to mind but even then why would we play this expensive card yeah when we want cheap cards to play with arcanist it's like you know it's like the auras deck in historic is a deck i can think of which is like a somewhat played azorius deck like non-control azorius deck but I, I don't think it's in the mood for ojitai's command so no it wants more enchantments exactly that's the whole thing you defend the thing on the battlefield you don't buy it back and Luris yeah, is also very much Luris, invalidated exactly. 
Ojitai's command. So yeah, I think this one is less exciting. I, I agree. I mean, it's like at its best, it's like a bone to ash for a control deck or maybe like a um, absorb facsimile if you need the life, which is just really neither of those cards is particularly great. Okay, and then the uh, take us into Silumgar's command. It's the most expensive of these, so right away it has something working against it. It's yeah. three and a blue-black for a total of five, and it's an instant, like they all are. Man, when commands were instants, dude, it's so good. Yes. So we're choosing to, once again, counter target non-creature spell, or return target permanent to its owner's hand, or target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn, or destroy target planeswalker. Yeah, this one feels like a miss to me. I think part of it is that when I think about any given matchup, it's kind of hard to be getting the most out of your two modes on this card. For example, maybe your best bet in a creature matchup is that you kill one creature and bounce another creature. But for five mana, that's just not even particularly that great. I mean, it can certainly win games, but the problem with Historic especially is that by the time you reach five mana, like, you either gotta be wrathing your opponent's board, or killing them with your board, or doing something a little bit more impressive than two for oneing. So, Mm -hmm. okay, if you're in a certain kind of control matchup, you counter a non-creature spell and you destroy an opponent's Planeswalker, but I don't know, you know, it's like, are you really gonna pull that off against a Teferi deck? I don't think so. Running out your five mana spell and expecting it to not get countered or something, it just seems like a stretch. If I play a Demir or Grixis style control deck, or an, even Esper, it's going to be hard for me to not want to try to run one or two of these, but I probably shouldn't. And it's not that any part of the card is particularly bad, it's that five mana is so much. Yep. Absolutely, we're just not really doing this kind of stuff. Although, granted, another sweet target for your freaking Torrential Gearhulk. Uh, Gearhulk is getting a chance to shine with all these cards that weren't yeah. with it in standard. It should be fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, expensive instants are like really, they were really designed for that card. All right, well, um, I definitely expect at least one of these to show up and be a player, and I wouldn't be surprised if multiple of them end up doing so. Uh, next card I want to talk about here is Ancient Grudge. One and a red instant destroy target artifact. Flashback for one green mana, which just means you can cast it from your graveyard for one green mana. One card that destroys two artifacts. Just a rock-solid sideboard tool. Yep. And we'll definitely see play in some decks of at any time that artifacts are really rearing their nasty artificial heads. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, imagine being like some random con deck and playing against a gruel deck and having them slam this and you're just like, oh god, <laughs> mm. I can just never get away with my nonsense. Two, two dead paradox engines coming right up. Dude, and this being an instant is so savage, right? Like, think about yes. like a flashback instant that can destroy your hard-hitting permanent is so brutal. I mean, even imagine like you know, someone kills your first Great Henge, and then you can't even play your second Great Henge, right? Or like, like let's let's say they yeah you, they kill your Great Henge, you top deck an Ember Cleave, and you're like, what? Like, am I gonna like play this mid combat? My opponent can just flash back their Ancient Grudge. It's pretty brutal. The 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 thing that hurts the most is when they play their Ancient Grudge, and you're like, well, okay, 
I'm going to play my Graft Digger's Cage and lock out the Ancient Grudge in their graveyard, and then I'm going to play my other artifact, and then they play another Ancient Grudge from their hand on the cage and then flash it back <laughs> on the artifact you hoped was safe. <laughs> so, yeah. Quit, quit your messing around is basically what this card says. All right. Uh, how about Caught Homunculus? This is one white for a 1-1 one, one artifact creature. <laughs> An artifact creature. Uh, Court Homunculus gets plus one, plus one, as long as you control another artifact. This is hilarious that these are right next to each other. Yes. Because you can play, for one white, a Court Homunculus that can be a 2-2 if you play another artifact next to it. And it's like, oh, cool, I got a good deal. One white, I got a one mana 2-2 creature, as long as I have another artifact. And then the opponent can play Ancient Grudge and just kill them both with one card. Brutal, brutal. So this card is a meme, except that um, I would definitely throw this straight into my Tempted Steel deck, like without hesitation. Yeah, that deck has some hits in this uh, anthology. They keep trying to make it happen, but also they printed Ancient Grudge and Coligan's Command. So there you go. That's like the only place I'm seeing caught Homunculus. Otherwise, just don't even bother with this card. Are you going to bother with this next one? It's Dragonstorm. <laughs> Eight and a red. So nine total mana for this rare sorcery. Search your library for a dragon permanent card. Put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. And it has storm. Storm. So, you know, you spent some more of your mana that you had laying around casting another spell. Let's go. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm going to need for you to tell me why this card isn't just never going to see play CGB because... I can't figure it out. Whoa, hold on. That's disrespectful. Dragonstorm has world championship pedigree. Oh, does it? Okay. Well, you know what yes. I just thought of? Okay, this this is gas. Mizzix is mastery, right? That's pretty gas. You get two dragons. That is very gas. Okay. Right, in, right, right. there, you get two dragons. Okay. Yep. You discard I, this with like a faithless looting and you mastery on four. Talk to myself into it, right? You get a Velomachus law hold and you get something else and you're off to the races. The lore hold is pretty nasty. If you can find like a lord or something to pump it another two, you could lore you could Velomarcus into another dragon storm. That would be pretty gassy. If there's a dragon that gives another dragon plus two plus oh somehow. No, but isn't Velomarcus a five five, right? So you'd need to give it plus oh, four. Oh, it's the power, not the casting cost. Okay, we gotta give it plus four. Yeah. Yeah. Big big mission. Big it could happen. Maybe it could happen. Doable. You know? If only Kratos of Behemoth were a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, how bad is it to get Terror of the Peaks and the other biggest dragon you can find? That sounds. Good. I mean, so if you're running a sounds com- pretty good. If you're running a combo deck like this, you probably get the what the te- Terror of Mount Velus, right? Oh no, you just get Terror of the Peaks and Terror of the Peaks. Is that does that just twenty they your trigger opponent off each right other? There? Well, that right there is, is ten. Ten is ten. Okay, so the third Terror of the Peaks is lethal. Yeah. Because it sees two other dragons. Yeah. Because then it's like 30, right? Yeah. And if your opponent doesn't have a board wipe, they're going to take six damage removing them as well. So, uh, yeah. That's... There, I mean, there it is. That's yeah. If you have five it's mana, fine. you can cast Faithless Looting, discard the Dragonstorm, cast Mizzix Mastery, target the Dragonstorm, cast the Dragonstorm, there get three copies, get three terrors, game. Yep. Yep. Game. That's, that's pretty gas. I mean, who knows what the rest of the deck looks like, but... Okay, so so Mizix's mastery single-handedly took this from meme to like maybe we try to 
build a deck around it. Why not? Why not? Timmy in the house. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this next card, uh, I think you were actually just rapping about this recently. Grizzly Salvage, black, green, instant. Reveal the top five cards of your library. You may put a creature or land card from among them into your hand, put the rest into your graveyard. This card has a lot of potential. Rapping about this? You're going to have to explain. I'm being a little clever there, but you were, you brought this up as a very solid alternative to another card that we were talking about recently, and I don't remember oh, what it was. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember exactly, but Grizzly Salvage, we did talk about if it got printed, because this was a staple from one of the Ravnicas, I think Return to Ravnica, and I played it in so many black-green decks. And as uh, for a black and a green at an instant speed, which is really nice, getting to dump like four cards into the graveyard and put one creature or land into your hand is a really good rate, and there's probably going to be some fun graveyard decks that want to play this. I think we talked about this with like Blex, right? You had to pay like a lot of life with yeah, Blex that, that's to what it was. impersonate this card. That's what it was, yeah. Yep. <laughs> So and so the cool thing about this card is it actually puts five cards into the yard because Grizzly Salvage itself goes to the yard. That's just a lot of freaking cards in the yard. If you're running Jund, that basically turns on a Kroxa right there. Mm. I, I don't know if this fits into any existing shells, but it's the kind of card that could actually enable a new shell. Like, imagine if you play this and you also play the uh, Stitches Supplier. You know, like, that's the start of a very powerful graveyard deck right there they just have to give us the delve cards and the dredge cards and it's game over man game over could we be seeing like a um like a titan's nest in historic deck (laughs) oh that could be a ton of mana yeah could be a thing right i mean historic has a pretty wide card pool with some pretty nasty payoffs Mm -hmm. a a lot of time warps yep (laughs) That, there you go. Yeah, Saltai. You could even throw in a couple of copies of Ultimatum as a top ender. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's memeing, but uh, this this card's definitely powerful. Definitely could enable some stuff. I can see a Praetor I'm going to cast, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay. All right. So, uh, how about Intangible Virtue? One in a white for an enchantment that gives all creature tokens you control plus one plus one, and they have vigilance. Did you know this card was banned and block constructed before a game was even played? I didn't know that, but I believe it. (laughs) Yeah, Lingering Souls was in that block and was considered a powerful card at the time. And Intangible Virtue plus Souls was deemed too strong uh, for that format. What does this do in Historic? Do we have... uh, we have a ton of tokens somewhere i can't i can't think of like a competitive tokens deck or a tokens deck that was near being competitive and needing something like this to put it over the top um this is a powerful card it wouldn't surprise me it wouldn't surprise me if this spawned a new archetype i don't think it would necessarily be tier one uh remember we also have uh the other one and a white uh pump enchantment which was rally the ranks and what does that one say? Is that non-token, though? R- Rally the Ranks was choose a creature type. Oh, a creature type. It might okay. have been non-token, but I thought it was type. So you could actually get like a, you know, like a six to eight copies of this in your deck and just freaking go off, right? Get some kind of like spirit deck going. I don't know. I'm, I'm just pulling something out of the air. But um, yeah, I'm not sure about this one being as popular. Yeah. 
How about like Thopters? Maybe we have some kind of Psy Master Thopterist deck. You've got the Kaladesh cards. Get on it. It sounds like a standard deck that we're forcing into Historic, to be honest. I agree, yeah. I think the power level's probably not there. You have to be doing something pretty busted, I think, for this to be competing in Historic. Uh, speaking of busted, Ica Wellspring. Two mana artifact. When Ica Wellspring enters the battlefield or is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, draw a card. Are you memeing with that busted, or do you have some backup for that? Well, this this humble artifact formed the backbone of a very, very broken and difficult combo deck. Well, it wasn't the backbone, but it was part of the backbone of the uh, KCI deck, Krat Clan Ironworks. And um, this card does combo well with another card that we do have in Historic, the Scrap Trawler. You can produce mm-hmm. some pretty nasty loops with cards like this and Scrap Trawler. So uh, I don't think Ikor Wellspring is going to, at this moment, make waves in Historic, but that two-card combo combined with a few other things can start going off real hard. How do we sacrifice it? In, in the KCI deck, I'm not sure. How do we... So in, in Historic. Is there something that you can think of in Historic that does it? Let's see, Sacrifice. I mean, I don't, I don't want to play Doom Foretold. That's way too slow. No. Pia Nalar can sacrifice this. She's in historic. There's got to be something. Mm-hmm. Like, there's got to be some good ideas. Oh, wait. There's one coming up. Trash for Treasure. It curves perfectly. Oh, nice. Should we just do Trash for Treasure? Yeah, right yeah. Read, read that one. So it's two and a red sorcery, and it says, as an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice an artifact, return target artifact <laughs> card from your graveyard to the battlefield. <laughs> we did it. We, we built a red divination. Let's go. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, I mean, I, I think the idea here, like, think about the curve. You can go turn one faithless looting and discard whatever artifact you want to go crazy with, Timmy. Yeah. Discard God Pharaoh's Gift, discard Platinum Angel, whatever. Turn yeah. two, you can play the Icar Wellspring, draw a card. Turn three, cast Trash for Treasure, that's sacrifice true. a Wellspring, draw a card, and get back whatever that nutty card was. Yeah, that's that's kind of a cool little thing. And then later on in the game, you can Yorian to draw more cards. You could also die to Muxus the very next turn. <laughs> you could. That is a that that never happened. CGB quit me. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, my bad. So yeah, uh, Echo Wellspring is like one of those janky cards that sits in the unplayable pile until just the right deck comes along, and then sometimes like takes place in a busted deck that gets banned. So very true. Do you want to do the Praetor cycle, or do you want to do the things around it? Yeah, let's let's go ahead and hit the Praetors. All right, Praetor. Let's go. Yep. Jin Gitaxia's Core Argo, which has to just be one of the coolest names for a magic card ever, by the way. This is a 10-drop. Yes, that's right. 8 blue blue for a legendary creature Praetor at Mythic. It is a 5-4, so it doesn't pass the vanilla test. It has Flash. At the beginning of your end step, draw seven cards. Well, hello, precious. <laughs> All right. Whoa. <laughs> I'm in. Uh, and They're not then, done. And then each opponent's maximum hand size is reduced by seven, which is also incredibly gas. <laughs> so. What? Okay. What? 
So on its face, the two dream scenarios, right, are like you play this second main, draw seven cards, or you play this in uh, at your like the beginning of your opponent's end step. You flash it in, and they discard the whole. Oh hand. my lord! Yeah. Oh my lord! That's so intense. So yeah. this was the card I was reading when we were talking about the Titan's Nest uh, Grizzly Salvage to make a lot of mana, dude. This is something I would dude, do with that. This is a freaking payoff, man. I mean, imagine just playing blue, blue, paying blue, blue for this. Yes, please. On on their end step, making them discard down to zero, that's insane. And then yeah. on your end step, you draw seven. That game's over if 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 there's no yeah. doom blade to stop these shenanigans. That game is over right. on the spot. And I love it. Uh, th- you can also look at it from a reanimation angle if you want to try to play reanimator. Umburial rights is in the format. This is going to go for all the praetors. Like this is the cycle. This is what they do. They are big, flashy, mythic creatures that have really whack effects on end steps and upkeeps. That's that's what they're here for. So here's a question I have: If you can reanimate a creature, would you rather reanimate Jingataxius or would you rather get Ulamog? I want. I mean, I'm a draw cards kind of guy. I'm I'm on that Jingataxius. Well, that's what I'm saying, man. Is that like in there are a number of situations in which Jin is getting you a lot more than Ulamog is, especially Ulamog's getting exiled, baby. That's all he he gets exiled. He does, and and if you don't cast him, you're kind of missing half of the appeal anyway. So yeah, I would not be surprised if Jingataxius became like a choice reanimate or cheat into play target. I mean, this card is freaking powerful, man. It's very sweet too. For yeah. for a drawing cards mage like me, it's it it's the blue Praetor that I always wanted. Also, you can fetch this up with Emergent Ultimatum. And natural order if that's ever unbanned. Uh, there you go. Yep. So yeah, Jinkadaxius gets an A plus for definitely going to be fun to try to get that into play somehow. All right, why don't you hit Shale Dread, Whispering One? This is five black black for a Praetor. It's a six six Swamp Walker at the beginning of your <laughs> wait key, wait wait wait. Ca- what keyword is on this card? Hmm? Swamp Walk. <laughs> How wait when, have we forgotten? When were these cards printed? Were these cards printed in like ninety eight? What like what? yeah probably man <laughs> uh new phyrexia um by the way yeah new phyrexia when was that i don't know like a million years it's ago like okay. before in the, in the dark ages born, man so so swamp walk means that if your opponent controls a swamp you can't block sh- this card yeah um same with island walk is if they control an island you can't block it um just Picture it casually strolling through their swamp directly to the opponent's face to slap them. <laughs> or in this case, like, eat them with your big belly monster. Anyway. Oh, so, God, this card is disturbing. So, sorry, sorry, CGB. I just couldn't, I couldn't let that one slip by without, you know, commenting. No, that that's all. It's just uh, seven mana for a 6-6 six, six Swamp Walker. That's a Praetor. That's all. Uh, and there's this text about, at the beginning of your upkeep, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Okay. It's a reanimation target that keeps reanimating. Yeah. It also says, at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, that player sacrifices a creature. All right. So this is like, um, this is what old magic players thought was a powerful magic card. Yeah, this is not the greatest Praetor in by a modern 
in a modern sense in any way. This is a very medium one. I think that's why they stamped the Swamp Walk onto it. <laughs> just end the game the old-fashioned way, I guess. Yeah, this is just not... This This ain't what I'm reaching for. Yeah, it's unfortunate, mm-hmm. but I, maybe it is actually fortunate because it is some of the more disturbing art I've ever seen on a Magic card. But we can go to the next Praetor instead, which is... Less disturbing, but probably way more powerful. This is Urabrask the Hidden. Take it away, Arjun. All right. Three red red for a 4-4 legendary creature Praetor. Creatures you control have haste. Creatures your opponents control enter the battlefield tapped. I don't know. Do you think it's going to make a splash in Historic? Uh, This card comes up here and there again and again in combo decks that somehow put multiple creatures either from the deck or from the graveyard into play because it can give them all haste so that they can all do their thing right away so it is a good combo card i don't think it's a good individual card i guess in a deck like that it's better than your um what's that janky wall that people are using to do that right now oh the crushing drawbit bridge. Yeah, uh, yeah. Also, it's this is crushing another one. Draw- oh, the Acaria yeah, one. I, yeah. The problem with that, I, I forgot the name. It starts with a T. Anyway, yeah. I, the problem with that is you have to play the three drop to fit in the Neoform deck, and that's where that wall is good. Yeah. Uh, because it gives all of the dual caster mages haste in the Neoform deck. Yeah. And it specifically has to be a three drop, or you can't tutor it up. Right. Yeah, so so Urabrask, and of course Urabrask is just a better magic card on the face of it, so if you have to unironically play it, this card can still kill your opponent, which is kind of cool. But yeah, so I, I see this as a combo card, and probably not to be played in any other part of Historic. It's a very fun commander card, so I imagine Historic Brawl, if it becomes a more push format, will enjoy this card, but we'll see. Yeah. It's definitely a better multiplayer card than individual. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You know, a powerful magic card. I think any any red aggressive mage would love to have it on the battlefield. It's just that, you know, we can also be playing cheaper cards, which are also really impactful. We already read Vorinclex Voice of Hunger last time, so that completes... We did, we did. Yep, that completes the Praetor cycle here. Well, it's not on the list and it's not announced for the set, but there is one more Praetor that got left out. Uh, I don't know if it's actually going to be there or not, but Elish Norn has always been kind of the big hit Praetor of the cycle, and I, I'm curious. Dude. I'm curious if it's going to show up. Dude. It would be kind of a ripoff if they didn't give us LS Non, right? They've already got four mythics in there. I don't know. This would be a lot of mythics in a historic anthology. Yeah, at why this would point. they leave but, it out though? I mean, Norn is the best it is one. The best and somebody one. needs to hose Muxus a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like I want to hose Muxus really bad. Well, okay. So the people are probably wondering, like, can you read LS Non for us? Sure, I got it. It's five white white. So it is seven mana, but mm-hmm. don't forget those unburial rights, kids. Uh, it is a four seven vigilance. Other creatures you control get plus two plus two. And creatures your opponents control get minus two minus two. Man. If that doesn't seem like much to you, just wait until your opponent actually has one of these in play and you will understand just oh. how brutal Elishnon is. I was really fond of this uh, 
spirits tribal deck back back in uh like i think it was the first innistrad it had drog skull captain and geist of saint traff these are some old cards and what you need to know is that they're mostly two twos and the spirit tokens for like from lingering souls are mostly one one and i got to play against uh in a pro tour qualifier i got to play against a guy who just birthing potted you know in birds of paradise birthing pod and i don't remember what it took to get there but like turn three had an elish norn in play and there was just no creature in my entire deck that was going to survive. <laughs> it was just, I was uh, like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> that was, that was, that I is, had a good time. Uh, you know, shake the hand, go find, go, sign the slip, go find the door. <laughs> yeah, man. Ellis eat, my, eat my sorrows in pizza, man. <laughs> she is a moderator, dude. Like, nice creatures. Imagine playing an elves deck and having your opponent resolve Elish Nor, and I was just GG. Yeah, and I don't know if this will come to Historic, but if it does, this will be a anything that can tutor up a creature, ramp to a creature. Uh, I don't know if you're going to emerge an ultimatum into this, but you can. Um, and uh, reanimate a creature. Like she, the, This is an important part of the puzzle. She gets it done, for sure. She definitely does. I, I hope we get her, to be honest. Me too. I, I, I'm down with seeing Mux's players cry. Me too, yeah. I, I think that it probably will happen so the question is just whether it's now uh okay next card here that bring it's an iconic one cgb it is one of the more iconic magic cards ever printed merfolk looter one and a blue creature merfolk rogue at one one and it has this famous text tap draw a card then discard a card this card is the reason that ability is referred to as looting it is. I, I'm intrigued to see where it fits into Historic because it has oddly relevant types. Uh, we, we never cared that it was a rogue back in my day, but now you do. Uh, you also have a lot of ways to use your graveyard, such as Mizzix's Mastery and Unburial Rites. Merfolk is still a lingering deck that casual players do a lot. Um, I'm, I'm curious what's going to happen with Merfolk Looter. I think that there's a chance it could show up somewhere i also think there's a chance that the world is too fast and too furious for merfolk looter why would you play this when you can play faithless looting i don't know so i guess we'll see yeah that was my read on it is that i feel like magic has passed the merfolk looter by but i mean you're not wrong has relevant types has a relevant ability i mean two mana for a one one it's kind of rough yeah <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it turns out all right how about reverse engineer three blue blue for a sorcery draw three cards with improvise and if you recall improvise you can tap artifacts to pay the cost of this card this is another aether revolt card that wasn't in uh the remaster the kaladesh remastered for some reason mother fluffers yeah what the hell uh but we're still doing this. We're still bringing back Kaladesh cards we couldn't program before, I guess. But uh, back in the day, Reverse Engineer was um, it was part of the Improvise Inspired Statuary Paradoxical Outcome deck in numbers of like two or three. And I don't know if it. I don't know if that deck needs this. Like I maybe we'll see it here and there. It does have kind of this comboy stormy potential that they're trying to push. But I also. We haven't seen the Paradoxical Outcome deck make any waves. No, I agree. But yeah, this is definitely a combo card. Just 
keep that in your mind if you're going to play this. It's in some combo deck. But, you know, the interesting thing is, like, a lot of those artifact decks, as their artifacts, they would be tapping, just, you know, have, like, mana rocks and stuff that already generate mana, right? So they, they basically have different ways of abusing stuff. Um, but, yeah, Reverse Engineer, I mean, if this card costs you two, two blue mana, it is a very powerful card, so... And you can pay that improvised cost with the next card on our list, Relic of Progenitus, which is one colorless artifact that taps to have target player exile a card from their graveyard, or for one, exile the relic to exile all cards from all graveyards and draw a card. This is a card with modern levels of pedigree. It sees play uh, across formats. It's a solid piece of graveyard hate that can go into any deck. Is this going to make a wave in Historic? I mean, I was going to ask you, CGB, if this is the most played card in this release in Historic. Wow. It's definitely one of the less... It's probably the one of the least flashy cards in it, but as far as a practical tool that can be played all over the place you could see this in all kinds of decks and sideboards one two three all the way up to four depending on your strategy and how else you can use it here's here's a three sentence phrase that you don't see on graph digger's cage that you don't see on tormod's crypt that you don't see on rest in peace draw a card right yep and for the soul, in order to draw a card off of Soul Guide Lantern, you don't get to exile the whole graveyard. So the fact that Relic of Progenitus does what it does and then draws you a card is like kind of amazing. You also can pay the one and draw the card even if the relic is tapped. And that's relevant because if you're out there picking on their graveyard by using the tap ability, but you're holding up mana to possibly do something else with, and you just want it around to keep their graveyard suppressed, they can't, like, you can't, like, be on end step, I tap my relic, it they exile a card, then they say, okay, now that your relic is tapped, I disenchant your relic. Like, you can then be like, okay, I pay one and exile everything and draw a card. You still get a card out of the deal. Unless they have Crows and Grip for split second, but, but you know, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> this card can read like a sorcery, two colorless mana, exile all graveyards draw a card right that's just yeah yeah a, a very good magic card and then it's basically all upside from there so yeah i don't know man i i don't know if this replaces graph digger's cage or rest in peace or whatever necessarily but uh i would be surprised if this didn't end up being one of the more impactful cards for historic from this release so think about how Grafdigger's Cage kind of does collateral damage. If you're a collected company deck, you can't play Grafdigger's Cage. You yep. can play Relic of Progenitus. It only attacks the graveyard. It doesn't keep your collected companies from being awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and also, so let's say you sideboard in your two Grafdigger's Cages and you draw both of them. That's not great. If you're op looking at an opening hand with both of them, it's kind of a rip, right? Whereas with Relic, yeah. like you draw two of them, Good to go. No worries. Say you have Luris and a Graph Digger's Cage. You kind of nombo yourself. Say you have Luris and a Relic of Progenitus. You have a draw engine, kinda, kinda. Kind you of. do have to exile the Relic, but yep. like, yeah. I mean, you can also get Relic out of the graveyard and keep attacking the opponent's graveyard, mm -hmm. uh, and there's nothing they can do much about it until they get rid of the Luris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this card sees play in lots of formats for a reason. So, yeah. 
Really, really strong cod. And do I see this right? It's a common. It is a common. Easy craft. Yep. If you don't want to buy the set, easy craft. Boom. Let's go. Uh, another common they released was Day of, uh, sorry, Ray of Revelation. One and a white instant. Destroy target enchantment. Flashback for a green. So it's basically like the, uh, like the ancient grudge, except for enchantments. Yeah. yeah. Solid um, if enchantments are what you need to kill. You want to kill that ley line of the void, I suppose. Yep, totally. And, you know, here's another thing to note as well. Selesnia, fairly playable color in Historic right now. Uh, color combo. So, yeah, nice. Yep. All right. How about this this next foundational card here, CGB Stifle? One blue for an instant. Counter target activated or triggered ability. That's it. I, so I want to preface this one by saying you're probably going to win our little uh, wager that something from the anthology would be, from the archive would be banned. Yeah, baby. I, it looks like, like we're recording on the 14th. There's a league weekend tomorrow. I should have said till the 18th because I should have made it go through ban Monday, the day after the league weekend, if I was smart. But <laughs> it looks like you're going to win that one. And that's cool. But I also look at this as... What's happened to Historic that we haven't had a lot of time to talk about here on the show because of all the new cards and announcements is Tainted Pact. Like that deck is, like you and Danny talked about it, like that that deck has really taken over Historic and has proved to be every bit as dangerous as people feared. Stifle can stifle the trigger from Thassa's Oracle and leave it for one blue, just leave it so that the Tainted Pact deck just exiled their library but didn't win the game. And yeah. this might be a printing design to attack that interaction. Could be. Yeah, it could be. Because it's true. I mean, people have been finding creative ways to get around that. But Stifle is the only way that I can think of which both prevents you from losing and guarantees your opponent dies in the same breath, right? So, Yeah, yeah. and it's cheap. It's, it's appropriately yeah. priced for what you need to happen. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Apart from stuff like that, though, Stifle probably doesn't show up, right? So Stifle is a, uh, it has a legacy and vintage level pedigree, but that's because of fetch lands, because there are mm. so many lands that are like Fable Passage in those formats. Brutal. And you can counter the <laughs> Fable Passage activation. And uh, doing that on turn one or two is just yeah. straight up land destruction for one mana. Oh, that's so but brutal. St- uh, it is, but Stifle and Historic isn't going to get that opportunity nearly as often, and when it does, it will be much later in the game. So I am curious to see, like, what we stifle. We stifle a Muxus trigger. Maybe? Well, so that kind of highlights the fact that we have, uh, uh, God, what's that card called? It's the Counter Spell. Tales End. Say it again. Tales End. Tales End. That's the one, right? So that adds yep. countering a legendary creature to the text. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I feel like if you, I don't know, don't you just run Tails End instead? I think so. Uh, and you can hit Demonic Pact with this, but it, it really is just about the Tainted Pact, like how early it threatens that kill with Asa's Oracle that makes this card potentially a player because there's it's such a huge difference to hold up one mana or two mana on turn mm-hmm. three, which is how early that thing can go off. Yep, that's a really good point. So, surgical answer to specific problems. All right, uh, Vault Scourge. One and a Phyrexian black mana. This is an artifact creature imp. 
A flying lifelink one one. Oh boy, CGB, are you stoked to cast a one mana flying lifelink one one, which burns you for one? Absolutely not, but you're probably going to tell me your Tempered Steel deck just got another big upgrade. Tempered Steel is into this card, yep. Just cut cut those Ornithopters out of your deck and replace them with Vault Scourges and just feel great about it. Forget that Ancient Grudge thing, this is fine. (laughs) Like, we got this. We got this. Colagon's Command, no problem. All over it. Uh, Yeah, this, I mean, this card seems like the, the least powerful card in this whole release but uh you know it has phyrexian mana in it so it's by definition busted they should have just given us dismember like a really playable black that's what i'm talking about okay supposing this card cost two phyrexian black mana how good would it be that's pretty awesome that's just a free spell in a world where there's like storm and other stuff going on uh death shadow might want to pay for life and then gain it back one at a time or just not even attack yeah it's a much different card if that were the case Mm -hmm. do you do you think that a card like that would be like dangerous like do you think a card like that would get banned and you know like all the formats and stuff i don't think so no neither do i it's just interesting it's interesting to think about you know a tweak you could make to make this card go from being like just an absolute meme horrible card to you know playable interesting card yep anyway such such thought experiments are fun indeed so that is the historic anthology at least as it has been revealed to us so far um so after looking at all of these cards what's your opinion man how does this stack up compared to some of the other historic anthology releases it might be the best one. It's pretty good, right? I so so here's the thing about it that I like. I like they've they always try to punch some nostalgia feels in these anthologies by giving the Timmies uh, and the Spikes some cards that they enjoyed from their past. And we've talked about the purpose of the anthology. Is it to push the historic metagame? No, I think it's just to sell a nostalgia type feeling. I think this version is more successful than others have been at cards that might and that might affect the meta and at the very least capture the imagination and make people want to try them. Uh, and there are several of them, like Atarka's Command, Remoka's Command, and uh, the Rakdos one, Colagun's Command. Those should all probably see or at least be tested in a number of decks. The Dragonstorm combo deck that we outlined is 100% something that is worth experimenting with. Finding ways to cheat out the Praetors, especially the blue one for me, is something that I'm excited to do. And having a tool like a Stifle to attack a very specific combo deck problem makes this at least a consideration. I think that more than normal... is And, and let's add to the fact that there are at least four Mythics here. Like, the Praetors are Mythics. Crafting those is a lot harder. So if the price tag of this is the same then you're getting more mythic bang and wildcard bang than you did before. I think that makes this a buy if you are into playing around in historic. Uh, if you are trying to just get into historic, you probably shouldn't buy this. You should probably craft a good historic deck. But if you are just getting the cards to mess around in historic, if it's kind of a fun thing for you, I think this is a buy. I agree. 
Yeah, I agree. I think there's enough here. The commands really help to round it out. Um, I think that you get enough for your money. And they've included a lot of very relevant cards here, just like good sideboard cards, um, good cards that just make the format a little bit more well-rounded, cards that could actually enable new archetypes, which is, you know, it's one of the reasons why Faithless Looting is such an important card, right? Because it not only is it a strong card, but it just it, it makes people consider building decks they otherwise wouldn't have considered building. And, you know, that's often the most important thing to add to a format. And, you know, we have we don't have anything like Faithless Looting power level in this list, I don't think, but um, but these cards are definitely going to get the gears turning. And I think that we will see some, you know, at least in the very least, some sideboards will be changing. So yeah, pretty sweet overall. Um, I hope that historic anthologies continue to look like this. Good job. All right. That's going to wrap up another long and winding episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. Uh, and thanks. soccer. And soccer, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's the year 2021. We have to expand. Um, so you can find this show on Spotify. Note that, yes, you can find the show on Spotify. Basically, like every week, I have someone asking me where it is. It's there. Just look for it. You might have to put a space between Arena and Craft, okay, to find it. And you might have to scroll. Yes, exactly. It is there, I promise <laughs> I'm subscribed you. on Spotify. I promise. I'm subscribed on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> so it is there. So it's on Spotify. We're also on all of the other usual platforms, Apple Podcasts etc you can also listen and watch and see all of the card images that we talk about on covert go blues youtube channel so definitely go there if you want value added and if you want to support the podcast financially you can now do so over at patreon.com forward slash arena craft podcast so go show your support there we really appreciate it and thanks crafties looking forward to bringing you the same stuff you enjoy next week later crafties <laughs> <laughs>